NASCAR fans, it's time to start your engines. Welcome to Pit Pass Indy, a production of Evergreen Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Martin, a journalist who regularly covers the NTT IndyCar series. Our goal at Pit Pass Indy is to give racing fans an insider's view of the exciting world of the NTT IndyCar series in a fast-paced podcast featuring interviews with the biggest names in the sport. I bring nearly 40 years of experience covering IndyCar and NASCAR, working for such media brands as NBCSports.com, SI.com, ESPN Sports Ticker, Sports Illustrated, Auto Week, and Speed Sport. So let's drop the green flag on this episode of Pit Pass Indy. The 2022 NTT IndyCar Series season begins with this weekend's Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg. Team Penske driver Will Power is a two-time winner on the streets of St. Petersburg with victories in 2010 and 2014. He is also an eight-time pole winner at St. Pete, most recently in 2020. With 40 career wins and 62 career poles, the series championship in 2014 and an Indianapolis 500 victory in 2018, Power has firmly established himself as one of the great drivers in IndyCar racing. The native of Toowoomba, Australia, has enjoyed a productive career after coming to the United States in the Champ Car Series in 2005. Power helps preview both the NTT IndyCar Series season and Sunday's Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg in today's edition of Pit Pass Indy. But there is plenty more in this in-depth and revealing interview with Power. He talks about his relationship with former Team Penske teammate Elio Castroneves and what his reaction was when Castroneves finally won his fourth Indy 500 last May. At first, Power didn't know who won the race because he didn't recognize the car number on top of the scoring pylon. Power also talks about the wild range of emotions back in 2009 when Power was a fill-in driver at Team Penske while Castroneves was involved in a tax evasion trial in Miami and how that led to his full-time ride at Team Penske once Castroneves was acquitted. But the most revealing aspect of today's interview is Power's description of the horrific crash at Las Vegas Motor Speedway on October 16th, 2011. The 15-car pileup sent Power's car airborne 25 feet into the air and into the fence. Power suffered a broken back in the crash, but when his car came to a stop, it was facing the damaged car containing Dan Weldon, who was killed when his head hit one of the fence posts supporting the wheel fence after his car had also launched into the fence. Power admits how that sight continues to haunt him to this day and still causes panic attacks. As for the 2022 season, Power believes he can return to championship form and also looks to the future after his racing career is over. Here is my in-depth and revealing interview with Power from his home on Lake Norman, North Carolina, as he prepares for this weekend's season opening Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg. Joining us now on Pit Pass Indy is one of the all-time great drivers in IndyCar of this era. It's Will Power. Will, we're starting the season on the streets of St. Petersburg for the Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg this Sunday. You are a two-time winner of that race and also an eight-time pole winner. So I guess you'd have to say you really like the streets of St. Petersburg. I I do, actually. It's uh, one of my favorite street courses. It... um pretty much starts the season every year apart from uh, last year because of COVID. But uh, well, a great season opener. It's a, a, a great track. It's right there close to, this, close to the town. Um, so it gets a really good crowd and it's a very good atmosphere. I know one of the things that disturbs you a little bit about your record at St. Petersburg is you start on the pole eight times, but you've got two victories. So what do you see as being the difference why you haven't been able to win there more often? 
It's um yeah, it's been a combination of things. Generally, the yellow rule that IndyCar has that goes yellow, the pits close, and if you're still out, you're gonna you know cycle back. But there's multiple reasons why that happens. Um, I can't remember them all to be honest, but uh, um, yeah, it's yeah one thing to qualify well in IndyCar, but to win is pretty tough. And who do you see as being some of the biggest competitors at St. Pete? We'll look at the biggest competitors you have to face all season, but specifically St. Pete, because that seems to be a track where certain drivers do very well there and others struggle. Yeah, that's true. And that sort of changes almost every year. But uh, I would expect Colton Herter, you know, based on his form really throughout the season, but definitely at the end of the season to be the toughest guy. Um, and, and, and of late at St. Pete, he's been very tough. So, uh, I'd say he's the, he's the one guy and then New Garden is right there as well. It's usually a long off season in IndyCar. This year, the season is actually going to start in February for a change. Uh, even though on the calendar, that's only about a week earlier than uh, normal, but to start the season in February, still end it the third weekend of September. How important do you see that as keeping IndyCar out there in the public eye? Yeah, it definitely disappears in the off-season with such a long off-season. So the sooner you can start and the later you can finish, uh, you know, helps that. And I guess the frequency of the races as well during the season is a, a factor as well. You know, if you could if we could have a race every two weeks, it'd be ideal. Obviously, every week, like NASCAR, I feel like becomes a bit much. But maybe for fans, that's uh, that is the right way to do it, where you have a race every week. But you know that you got to have venues, and um, yeah, it becomes quite expensive once you go over something like seventeen races. We have a lot of street races that come and go and very few that stand the test of time. Toronto is one of them, but even that's been paused because of COVID. But St. Pete has been a race that got off to a pretty good start, and the more it's held, the more popular it gets. What do you see as the reason why St. Petersburg has become such a popular race? Um, yeah, I think the city's embraced it. It definitely brings a lot of people to that. Uh, it's not the biggest town, and um, you know helps helps the local economy. Yeah, um, you know it's a bit of a party atmosphere, and it's it's a great location right there on the water. So it's funny what you know can make races work. When you look at Long Beach, it's on the water. It's a party atmosphere. Um, yeah, you're bringing a race to a city, and that's worked. Yeah, that's been one of the longest standing street courses that that we've had in IndyCar. So. Um, we're hoping St. Pete will be that. Obviously, as uh, you know, there's elections and mayors change. And, you know, you got to keep them engaged and and make them see what uh, what the race does bring to the city, and also bring them to the event and see the cool cars and all the different series that runs there. It's um, yeah, good action. And of course, the all timer as far as street races go on IndyCar's schedule is of course the. Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach, which began, I believe, in 1975 and just seems to get more popular every year. When you think of everything that's involved to keep a street race on a schedule for 45, 46 years, that's pretty remarkable what they've done at Long Beach. It's very remarkable. It's very tough to be able to find a a, a sponsor that will back the event every year and um, you know, Long Beach always gets a big crowd, so that obviously helps the promoter um, and gets support from the city. You know, the key is to get support from the city because setting it all up and closing streets off and then sometimes you have to resurface the track. So, you know, if you have the city behind you, it, it really makes things easy. And like I said, mayors change, you know, there's always, you know, every every couple of years. So, uh, yeah, you got to... Got to keep them engaged. But Long Beach, a phenomenal event, a lot of great history there. Um, and, you know, the city's been behind that for, what is it, 40 years now, close to close to 40 years, 35 years. Music City Grand Prix down in Nashville. Do you think that has staying power on the schedule? Uh, I 
I do. You never know. You got to wait for those first couple of years and um, see how the city embraces it. But based on the crowd of the first year, obviously the race wasn't ideal. I spent too much time under yellow there, but um, you hope so. You can't tell. It's it's difficult. It uh, it costs a lot to set it up, like I said, and you need a, a, a sponsor that's willing to back that every year and then you need a city that's willing to back it. So they're the keys to those events and uh, you know what makes them work. So I hope so. I mean it was a great it was a great event, massive crowd. You know, you're in very close to the city center of Nashville. I mean, couldn't ask for a better location. So as far as looking at the season in 2021, Finished ninth in the standings, which is certainly not up to willpower standards. You're a former series champion, and you won the Indianapolis 500 in 2018. What did you see as being the reason why the 2021 season was a disappointment? Uh, well, it was a combination of things. Again, um, you know, at, at times really not having the pace and not doing the job in qualifying. Um, certainly Indianapolis and Detroit were the biggest hits. Uh, Indianapolis were on for a, a definite top five and that's a, a double points race. And we, you, you know, pretty much finished last cause the brakes failed and, um, you know, coming into the pits. So then having that double points hit was huge. And then going to Detroit and leading the race with five to go and it goes red flag and the car wouldn't start there's another big points hit. You know, that was, that's a huge point swing for me just in those two races. And that would have moved me quite a few spots up uh, to be in contention. Oh, not for the championship, but that's just two races that I look at as, man, they're big hits for things that were kind of out of our control. But across the board, Team Penske seems to have struggled at the Indianapolis 500 the last two years, I know Joseph was able to pedal his way up to a decent finish, but he was never really one of the main contenders in either race. And also last year, you had to get into the starting lineup through the last chance shootout, which I'm sure no driver wants to go through that. What do you see as part of the reasons why the team just seems to have missed it a little bit from at the Indianapolis 500, because after all, this is the most successful team in Indy 500 history with 18 victories. It is, and um, it wasn't through lack of trying. We actually went back to the drawing board after 20 because we were so disappointed and worked extremely hard, so it was certainly a shock to us. Um, so we'll see this year. Once again, we've we've worked hard, or the team has, uh, and – you know, if, if we're not competitive this year or somewhat competitive, I think we'll all be really scratching our heads and just wondering what's going on. Do you think that in some ways the team got spread a little thin because they were also helping to support Beth Pareto Autosport and also trying to get the uh, Force Indy team off the ground? Uh, you know, I don't. they don't usually take anything on that's going to take away from, um, you know, their – full-time main series contenders. And, uh, yeah, I I wouldn't say that. I would say that other teams have worked extremely hard and found some good stuff. And, uh, you know, we fell behind a little bit. Um, you know, I think that Chevy's worked pretty well this off-season. I think Ray Goslin being there is a big, big plus to having a guy that uh, – um, is actually, you know, have has been on a race team. I think that's kind of what they were missing is someone who's been on a race team understands, you know, the drivability stuff for those sort of races and some of the Indianapolis stuff. So, so there's definitely a few pluses for us going into this season. But it's such a tough series now. Like you have to have everything right if you want to be a contender. You just you just do. You're not gonna you're not gonna turn up and you know, take it easy or, or have not done all the work or the homework, you're just not, you're not going to be competitive. So um, it takes a lot to win now. Also, when you look at a uh, teammate that you had, he was a rookie, Scott McLaughlin, a Australian supercars legend. He had a decent finish at Texas, but the rest of the season, 
was a rookie season for him? Did you expect a little more out of him, or did you think that was pretty much what you expected his first season in IndyCar would be like? Uh, pretty standard rookie season. Showed, you know, plenty of pace at times in practice, and, um, you know, it's always tough uh, to get that all together and put it together in qualifying. So, yeah, pretty pretty typical rookie season. You probably wouldn't have expected much more than that. And, uh, you know, I think he'll be back, obviously, with a year's experience now. And, um, it, you know, you would expect him to be a regular top 10 contender now. Were you surprised to see Elio Castroneves win his fourth Indy 500 with Meyer Shank racing? I was surprised. I When I f- crossed the finish line, I was like, it was number 10, right? Whatever the number was up on the he top of the- He was number 06. 06, that's right. It was the 06. And I was like, who? who's 06? I, I couldn't work it out. And then I saw Cashin Nevers. I'm like, no way. <laughs> he won the 500 for the fourth time. I was really happy for him, honestly. And, you know, to go to another team and turn up and and uh, win is, is very impressive. And coming off a 24-hour win- uh, Daytona 24-hour win, winning the 500 and going back and winning the Daytona 24-hour again. I mean, what a what a 12 months for him. It's amazing. Um, yeah, there you go. Like he was the year before he was at Penske and he struggled. He was the worst, I think, of all the qualifiers of us. And then to come back the next year in a different team and win um, is something that I would say satisfied him significantly. You spent a lot of years with him as a teammate. What was it like having Elio Castroneves as a teammate for all those years? And in some ways, race drivers come and go. Do you find that you miss some of them, or are you more focused on what you've got to do on your team? Yeah, you don't really miss any of them because they're all your competitors. Uh, But I have to say, Elio, when I turned up to the team, from the time I turned up to the time that he left – he was he was the quickest I'd ever seen him the year he left. Like he just got faster and faster and learned and um you know, I started out the first few years pretty much finishing ahead of those guys on road courses every weekend of uh, you know, earlier and by the end I was struggling at I think in my championship year I struggled to out qualify him like a few times. Like it was very he was he was teaching me more than I was teaching him. So he he certainly caught on. He's he's a smart driver like that and he knows Indianapolis. He he's it's just sometimes tracks click with you. I'm gonna say for whatever reason, the five hundred Indianapolis the speedway, it clicks with him. It just does. And he kind of knows how to win. Even the second places he's got. When you look at his second and third places, like he has got to be over the last 20 years one of the highest averaging average finisher in IndyCar. I'm not sure there'd be many that would finish, have a higher average finish than Elio. So it, yeah, pretty cool um, at his age to have done that and the two 24 hour races. And the irony of it all is you came to Team Penske because of a situation that involved Elio. Yep, that's exactly right. I mean, yeah, without his uh, tax situation, um, I, I yeah would never have got the shot. So, yep, <laughs> it's, it's funny how things work out. It really is. Well, here you were in 2009, and you were going to, as long as Elio gets acquitted, that car was your car. Well, he got acquitted. I'm sure you were very happy for him that he was acquitted of, you know, what were some fairly serious charges at the time. But how did you feel personally about now what do I do? Because it was probably a little while before the team started to integrate you and convince you that we're going to get you a full-time ride. Yeah, I I didn't know I had a full-time ride till pretty late in the game heading to 2010. I want to say it's probably before Christmas. Um, yeah, it was it was the biggest shot of my life in racing. And, you know, being full-time in that team and keeping a seat kind of depended on Elio, 
not been acquitted. So <laughs> you're a human. So you're wondering what's going to happen. You kind of, like, you don't want the guy to go to jail. But on the other hand, you're like, well, it's, man, this is a dream ride. But ultimately, you know, they said, look, if he gets acquitted at Long Beach, we'll, we will bring you a car and you can run. So on the Friday, I ended the, ended the day P1 in practice and I came in and Cindric, Tim Cindric, who's uh, the strategist on the stand, said, um, good news is that you're P1. The bad news is that Elio's on his way, so you got to go to the back of the pit lane and we've got a car for you. So pretty just was such a great feeling to be a part of a team where you didn't have to stretch, like, you know, they kind of had your back and that's the way they are and that's been very loyal to me and um, I uh, tried to return the favour and as many good results as possible. I was super determined to keep that seat and keep that situation. It's a great, like, honestly, like, you're very lucky. When I think about my career, just very, very fortunate to have, been in this team and had the chance. I mean, just just fortunately, like any driver would say that if they got the chance I got. We'll be right back to Pit Pass Indy after this short break. In the world of racing, Penske means performance and winning. For good reason. Since 1966, Team Penske has won 44 national championships, 17 in IndyCar alone. And last year, Team Penske claimed its Indianapolis 500 record-extending 19th Indy 500 win with Joseph Newgarden, the latest driver, to win the famed race. Team Penske also won its second straight NASCAR Cup Series championship. In 2022, Penske was the first team in history to win both the IndyCar and the NASCAR Cup Series championships in the same season. Team Penske enters the 2024 NTT IndyCar Series season with 236 IndyCar wins, including 34 500-mile race victories. Those are results that are tough to top. But Penske's legendary reputation for quality and attention to detail makes a statement off the track, too. When you need a truck, whether for your business or for a household move, Penske Truck Rental has some of the cleanest, newest, and best-maintained vehicles on the road. And we make it easy with personalized support from our associates, flexible reservations, and access to the top technology. With quick pickup and drop-off at more than 2,500 locations across North America, our scale and know-how will keep you covered, all helping to ensure you get the right, reliable, fuel-efficient vehicle when and where you need it. On the highways, the raceways, and every pit stop in between, Penske keeps you moving forward. Gain ground with Penske. Get a quote today at PenskeTruckRental.com or for household rentals, download the Penske Truck Rental mobile app today. 2010, 2011, 2012, it was one of those situations where you were the championship contender. It was your championship, basically, pardon the expression, it was your championship to lose. Strange things happened, and you ended up losing some of those championships. How much did that eat away at you at that time? Oh, it was, it ate away at me a lot. You know, the first, it was just, oh man, if just one thing in that season had gone the other way, one yellow or one small thing, like the number of races we won and poles and the dominance that we had and just pace, it just was amazing that that it would never come together. Um, It's just, yeah, whatever that is, whatever that reason was and it was never just one thing. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, it's, it's, you know, I could quite easily be a four-time champion if just things went a little bit differently in those years. Uh, but, yeah, I sit here with one championship, which is quite disappointing. I believe in 2013 you dropped off just a little, and I think you said that actually helped you in 2014 to win the championship because at the end of 2013 you could just – go out there and run your race, try to win races without worrying about the pressure of the championship. How much did that really help you in 2014 when you were able to come back and get your series championship? 
Yeah, that was that year. I never thought of points. I did not. I just did the job and I raced hard, um, raced to win, and enjoyed the racing. Uh, and actually, yeah, truly never really looked at the points. And that was the one year I won. Had I done that in those previous years and raced a bit harder, and not tried to points race, maybe I would have won those a couple of those championships, one or two of them. I mean, the worst one was twelve. I mean. We just had to cruise around all day. To lose that one was like, you know, ridiculous. I'd say in 10 was frustrating because Ganassi just turned out with quicker cars. We turned out the last race and they simply just had quicker cars and there was nothing I could do about it. Um, drive around all day. I end up, you know, that was a good lesson to to hang in there until the very end because you don't know what's going to happen. But the halfway point, I started really pushing and pushing the limit and end up scraping the fence and damaging the car a bit and having to stop. So, um, but yeah, the big, the big one for me was 12. Like that was, that was an easy one for us. And uh, it's just, I just couldn't, I mean, I could have just sat behind Hunter. I didn't even need to try to pass him. I, you know, I think that was, you were coming around to get lapped, but, it was going to be Hunter and Ray and I both getting lapped. So I don't know, you know, the team said, we want you to try stay on the lead lap, see if you can get by Hunter Ray. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we should have just sat there. And that's experience right there, you know. That's just a little lack of experience to not think that through a little better. Well, when you won the title in 2014, I would safely say that few IndyCar drivers celebrated better than Will Power did with the championship because – you really had a good time that whole experience. And just how big of a burden was that to get lifted off of you? A massive burden. Yeah, 14 was great because it is just it had just weighed on me. You know, had I, had I not really been a contender in those previous uh, three or four years, it wouldn't have been any weight on my shoulders. Like the fact that I had been leading up until the last little bit of every championship – and, you know, in 2010 and 12, actually leading the championship into the last race, um, yeah, it was just very, yeah, just weighed on your lot. So to get that out of the way was great. But then just, oh, I just don't understand the the last six years or seven years, the things that have happened. Uh, you know, maybe it's just a product of, look, I've analysed as much as you can. It's maybe a product of my personality and, uh, situation and um, you know you try to correct all those little things as much as you can uh, yeah man it's just constantly learning constantly learning in 2010 and 2011 I would say that you and Dario were great competitors I'd probably say you were more than competitors you were pretty fierce rivals it seemed like every other race one of you was upset at the other when you look back at that was he one of the uh greatest competitors that you had to race against? Yeah, it was interesting because he was kind of towards the end of his career. So, you know, what I noticed is he didn't have the ultimate speed. I felt like I could always out-qualify him and, you know, just on basic pace I was better. But then when it came to ovals, his experience was just so much greater and he was just so much better at that. So that was always the tough thing for us. Um, and just his experience. I mean, he mentally was better because he'd been doing it for long and he's he was very good at the mental game and, he, you know, he knew how to win a championship and he just put it together better. Um, and, yeah, it was, it was funny. We never – we didn't often race wheel to wheel. It was usually like I was having a bad day and he was having a great day or I was, you know, having a great day and, you know, he was being consistent <laughs> Um, but yeah, he, uh, just knowing now my experience, like he simply had more experience in every way. Like, you know, on the ovals, he could probably just set the car up better and knew what he wanted more from it. And, um, yeah, just simply did a better job of that stuff. There were a few times you went wheel to wheel. And I remember one at Toronto where you got out of the car and you were ready to, yeah, you were ready to go after him. Yeah, he, and he was very good at putting his wheel right where it didn't damage him and he he flipped me around and uh, um, and didn't get a penalty. I actually think I would have got back to him 
Um, but then Tagliani completely finished the job. So it was a bad day for me. But, yeah, I mean, it's just – it was tight racing, you know. He he knew the game well and, and uh, yeah, that's just one of those instances that happened. It was uh, – it was <laughs> – you look back and laugh a little bit now. I mean, it was just uh, – it was – it was fun. It was fun. I wish I enjoyed it more at the time. Of course, the 2011 championship is probably one that a lot of us would like to forget because what was supposed to be the final race of the season ended up not being a race at all. And that, of course, was the Las Vegas race where we lost Dan Weldon. And I think a lot of people wonder how you survived as well as you did because the one shot of you airborne, you're at least 25 feet in the air. And how much of that flight do you remember? And for lack of a better way to ask it, how bad was the impact? Well, actually, I was pleasantly surprised. I was really like when at the air I had got and how high I was going and the direction I was heading. And obviously, I couldn't see the fence, but I was like, I'm going to the catch fence. And that just was like, you know, that's all bad when you get into that catch fence. And that's what I thought. And just I got – because obviously the banking goes up as I was going up and over and, and the back touched down and I ended up on top of J.R. Hildebrand. And the impact was enough for, for a compression fracture in my back, but not bad. Like when I landed and all came to a stop, I was kind of like, wow, I'm alive. Thank God. It's not that bad. And I was like, oh, I've broken my back a couple of times before that, so I knew what the feeling was. I was like, well, I'm pretty sure I fractured my back again. So I kind of sat there and, um, yeah, terrible, terrible experience. I kind of stopped there and the car that I stopped right looking at into the cockpit was Dan Weldon. So, um, yeah, I had to watch all that unfold, which uh, caused me a lot of, yeah, a lot of issues. It wasn't, uh, still does. Can't really talk about it for too long without having sort of some some panic attacks. But, yeah, just a, yeah, bad, bad situation, a bad formula to race, the wrong track with the wrong formula. And luckily, IndyCar has not tried that again with maybe the exception of the California race in 2015. You were very vocal that time too. They've adjusted the formula at Texas from time to time. goes back to pack racing, but then we'll come back and it'll be spread out. But for the most part, do you think that they've properly addressed the issue of pack racing? Because that's always such a controversial subject because there are so many fans that love to see it, but yet they're not the one sticking their neck out on the line either. The cars have become safer, for sure. They're significantly safer was the, the halo with the windscreen. Um, and the formula is way safer and it's more about driving. So I think they, they play with it every year. Once again, at, at Texas, they've added more downforce and it'll be a cool part of the year. So, I'm, you know, we're gonna, definitely going to be running closer. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's it becomes more about bravery or balls than brains when you get this formula where you're just wide open. Because you're not driving the car, you're guiding the car. You're wide open. You're not lifting because the car's sliding. The car simply doesn't slide. It's like it's on railroad tracks. And then you get people up there that shouldn't be up there and they think they've got a chance to win. And that's when it's just a bad situation because, you know, it's not about the technique of driving. It's like, well, how stupid do you want to be um, to get to the front? And then you have these massive crashes. So, uh, yeah, I was never a big fan. I wasn't bad at pack rate. I actually enjoyed it, believe it or not. If you took the danger factor out of it, it was pretty – like there was a technique, there was a way you had to race, but it just required running an inch off the side of someone for a whole race. Like an inch, like you would almost touch him to get side drafts. And to spend a whole race like that and, the, you know, the whole field's just like that – it's inevitable that there's going to be some nasty crashes. You've been fairly outspoken in the fact that they've made the cars safer, but by doing so, it's made the cars heavier. 
you take the aero screen and also add in 2023 the extra weight of the hybrid assist. Yeah. Which was supposed to get you guys back to 900 to 1,000 horsepower. But with the added weight, I believe you told me in October that it may end up being a wash that you won't be able to get back to that kind of horsepower because of the weight of the car. How do you look at the 2023 formula and how that will eventually turn out? Well, uh, the horsepower is going to be real. Like that's, it's going to be massive. I mean, you're adding 100 horsepower to the engine or more by the time they develop that thing. You know, so then you're getting up around eight, 850 and then you're adding another 100 from the electric engine. So you're getting up around nine, 900, 950 horsepower. I mean, that that will be fast. Like things will be fast on the straights. Like they're going to have some serious horsepower, but you're adding 100 pounds on top of that, which it's at the back. And if you just added that new engine and they did the, they're actually going to do a magnesium uh, as instead of uh, 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 aluminum, the, the, the bell housing and the gearbox casing will be magnesium. Well, you know, with that, you're going to knock a pretty, pretty good chunk of weight off back there. Now, if you didn't add that electric engine, you just added the, the new engine with another 100 horsepower, 100, you know, maybe more than 100, that would be a beast of a car because you've lightened the car and added power. I mean, that would be a beast of a car. You're getting back to like the cart days with that. Do you think they will eventually find more ways to lighten the car? Uh, yeah, you'd have to do a full new chassis. Uh, I mean, yeah, you'd have to do wheels. You have to. You could probably do another gearbox on the internals and make them lighter in some way. I mean, I kind of struggle to see how you're going to knock 100 pounds out of the thing. Maybe if, you know, like if you're incorporating the screen into the chassis, you're not bolting it on and there's a few things. I think, you know, the way team owners look at it is, hey, everyone's got the same. Why does it matter? You know, 100 pounds heavier. But I think it'll actually be a bit of a, I don't know, it might be a bit of a problem being that heavy. Like increasing the speed and then you, you're going to have more braking capacity. And so, you know, on the ovals, the wall, the, the hits will be harder because you got more weight. Um, that makes actually quite a difference. And, uh, and you know, making tires live like the rear tire, you know, adding 100 pound over the rear, rear tire, then add another 200 horsepower to that, man, they are going to get punished. Um, so, yeah, it will be interesting will be interesting. But also, wasn't there concern that the acceleration might be a little sluggish because of the extra weight? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think what 18 gallons of gas weighs. You know, you add 18 gallons to the car. Um, that's got to be up there. That's got to be close to, I wonder if that's close to 100 pounds. You know, it's got to be up there. It's got to be well more than 50 pounds. So, I mean, you know, we already do it when we fill the cars. Um, so that's the feeling like when you're running in qualifying trim. I mean, um, it's going to be fast. <laughs> it will be fast with that power. It'll be a handful, I can tell you. Yeah, I think you're going to notice the horsepower. There's no question. So going back to after you win your championship in 2014, then the next box that you want to check off is the Indianapolis 500. You were able to do that in 2018, but up to that point, how much did you focus on that race and how much did you just think, man, what have I got to do to win that thing? Yeah, you just, it built on you year after year. Like, it really did. It just ground up, ground, you know, it was like just a weight on your shoulders again. And that was the biggest feeling that I had after it was like, oh, thank God I won that thing. I don't have to stress about not winning a 500. Um, and just the whole experience was so great. You want to do it again. Uh, it's just a very, it's a tough race to win to get all those things together. And, and just, you know, it's once a year, just one race. Um, more cars than any other race you do all year to try put it together. It's, it's hard. To be able to get that victory in 2018, and at that time, Roger Penske didn't own the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, but he did on the track with all those victories that he had. But how proud of a moment was it for you in victory lane when you saw Roger Penske? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, that whole thing, was just, it was just fantastic, you know, because I know what it means to Roger. I know what it means to that team. Um, yeah, I mean, it was great when I finally saw Roger in victory lane and, uh, you know, it's, uh, I know what it means to him to get another one. And, man, yeah, he uh, – uh, I think he'd been waiting a long time. I mean, he, I think he, he really wanted me to win one badly. Um, you know, obviously he has multiple drivers, but, you know, I think he has a feeling of when you've paid your dues, you deserve, you know, you deserve to win. I kind of felt like he felt that for me. And same with the championship, um, which is pretty cool. And, of course, we'll all remember your reaction on the cool-down lap where you screamed into the radio, respect me, mother efforts what was it that brought out that was it just a career full of competitive fire that had finally just built up it was a career full of big disappointments at times with so much potential that was it and the questions and it's just career full of like oh man I came so close you know I'm putting in so much effort and um just a release of that you know, to finally not be asked the question of, uh, you know, when, when do you think you haven't won a 500 and you're not regarded as a successful driver in IndyCar until you do. So those sort of things were just there, you know, eating at me. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I thought that, yeah, I, I was actually at the beginning of that month, I remember thinking about my career and I was quite disappointed in it. I thought with all the potential and speed that I'd had and all the pole positions and even all the wins, you know, to have one championship to show for it was quite, you know, I would be quite disappointed to finish my career that way. So, um, yep, that's it. I'm an emotional person and, uh, uh, you know, things get at me, things like that upset me so um as i've got older i've definitely calmed and accepted that that's life like i'm just extremely lucky to be in the position that i am and um to have a job like this it's just any which way i look at it i'm just lucky and blessed to have had a career in motorsport i just am so all of that, since I've had that attitude and just realized how lucky I am and how bad some people have it in the world, it just none of, it doesn't bother me anymore. It just is how lucky am I? I'm just going to do the best I can at this job and get them get the most out of every weekend I race and um, whatever the result, I'm lucky. The good news is you signed a contract extension at the beginning of last year, so you're set for another few years with Team Penske. Are you already thinking of a contract after that? Or are you looking at this like, let's see how this contract plays out? You're always looking and seeing how it plays out. You don't know, you know. you got to keep performing in this series and in especially in the team. So um, we'll see when that comes. But, uh, yeah, you definitely, definitely will be about results. You know, if you're at a point where you can't win anymore, why be there? You know, simple as that. But as far as the contract, you have two more years left? I have, uh, yeah, this 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 year and next year. What would be next for Will Power when your driving career is over? I know that you're very active with the karting program. Yeah. You started Will Power Karts. You want to start teaching young drivers, developing young drivers as kids, bring them up from the karting ranks to maybe give them their head start you know, into an IndyCar career. Is that where you see what you'll be doing mostly when your driving career is over? Or do you have even bigger plans than that? I don't know what I'll be doing. It's a very, very tough thing to think about because I've spent so much time honing my skill and fitness and focus and everything on being as fast as I can and um, executing as a race car driver. So... I don't know, like that year that you stop and then kind of get after Christmas, like what are you doing? It'd be tough. I do have some other business interests and such that I'm pursuing right now, but uh, I have someone taking care of that because I don't want to take anything away from the racing. So um, don't know. 
don't know, maybe I'd do some sports car or maybe I should spend some time back in Australia with my parents. Um, I don't know. Like it's not a uh, – it'll be obvious when it comes. It'll be obvious when I should retire and it'll be obvious things will open up and it'll – yeah, not worth thinking about. But team ownership is not one of the things that you're thinking about. Oh, you could, but not. I yeah. I I mean yeah. I, I just depends on the situation. I don't actually feel like I'd be good at the track if I wasn't driving. I don't think I would like it. Like it'd become. I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Yeah, just hanging around a track and not. I mean, if you were part of the team and running stuff, I guess that would be something. Um, yeah, certainly wouldn't put any money into a race team. <laughs> well, it doesn't make money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, we have a couple of former drivers that are at the track a lot. One, obviously, is a hero of ours, Rick Mears, uh, four time Indianapolis 500 winner. You know, Dario also comes and helps coach the drivers over at Chip Ganassi Racing. Is that a type of relationship you might be interested in? You could do a bit of that. You'd have to see how that feels, you know, trying to tell or help drivers. I have, I would have a lot to bring, honestly, with some of the stuff that I know and do and preparation stuff and just things that, you know, you don't tell anyone until you, until you're done. Um, yeah. I could certainly help. I could certainly help. I just can't. I wouldn't like helping people that don't. Like the younger drivers, you want to find the next guy that is very motivated and very willing to listen and um, knows, you know, understands what it takes to win. Looking at the 2022 season, what do you see being some of the big storylines? I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know about big storylines, but, I mean, you'd look at, you'd have to say Colton Herter would be a favorite for the championship. New Garden, you know, you could just start, you can rattle off five guys right now that would be almost a favorite for the championship, like New Garden, Palou, uh, uh, you know, Dixon's always there. Um, I think Rosenquist and uh, Pato will be good this year. You see Rosenquist coming on at the end of last year and Pato and, um, Lungard as a rookie will be pretty good. Grosjean, Rossi. I mean, you know, how many guys you want? Like it's, that's what I said. I mean, it's impossible to really predict. It just shows the, the, the depth of the series now. I mean, yeah, you can more rattle off way more than five guys that'll be contending for wins, way more. It is more like 10 to 15 guys that could win. Do you expect to see a market improvement in Jimmy Johnson in a second year now that he's going to run every race? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he came on pretty good towards the end there and, you know, he slowly closed the gap to the back of the field. Um, you know, at his age and, you know, the amount of miles that he did in something that was so different, uh, I think he did a pretty good job to get to where he was. You know, this last step's always harder, though. The last little bits are always pretty tough. Um, but I, I would expect him to... Um, be better than he than last year, just simply because of the experience. He's going to know more about it. And how important is it for you to get off to a fast start in order to be one of those championship drivers that's fighting it out at the end of the year? Yeah, yeah it's not even about. It's about like you have to be like that all year. Now there's no just running around conservatively and just finishing races to be in the point time. It's literally like you've got to be top five every weekend. You've got to be hammering every weekend, pumping it out. Um, and and that includes the first race, first three races. You can't have that big dip. Like if you drop two races straight off the bat, you just like you got the pressure on you the whole season, the whole season. You can't drop a race. You can't like it's just, yeah, tough. As we close out here with Will Power, the 2014 NTT IndyCar Series champion and the 2018 Indianapolis 500 winner, one of your contemporaries is a driver that everybody kind of measures themselves by, and that's Scott Dixon. How much do you look at what he's able to do? Do you marvel at what he's accomplished? Or what do you see as what's been Scott Dixon's biggest secret? Oh, his biggest secret is being a consistent team. 
like the group that he has, um, you know, with as far as pissed offs and strategies, certainly put him in some great positions. You know, he's definitely not the quickest guy. Like, you know, you rarely see him qualifying on qualifying on pole, but he'll always be there at the end, and that's his strength. His strength is the race craft and um, the strategy that the team, the situations the team puts him in, and then he can, you know, obviously he can save fuel, he can go fast when he needs to. I think his race pace and situational awareness and all that is 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 what has won him those championships. Um, and yeah, it's yeah, it's the first time he's had a very tough teammate. He hasn't. He you know his, his last tough teammate was Dario. This is the first time he's got a guy that can do, you know, he's had guys that have been potentially quicker than him, but none of them could hang with him in the race as far as getting, you know, keeping out of trouble and the mistake-free races. Now he's got a guy who can do all of that. He can be very fast in qualifying. He can race. He can do everything um, that he can do and did it better than he did last year. So that changes the driver a little. Having in a team, it does. It it forces you when you're not used to it to kind of maybe overstep it a little bit and you become a bit more prone to mistakes. But uh, definitely in this era, he, Dixon, has been the best guy, um, especially the last, let's say, last seven years. And is this the year that Will Power is going to catch Mario Andretti for most career polls? Oh, man, that's becoming really hard. You know, I'm amazed that I got as close as I have. And uh, it would be a, a that would really, really be something to um, equal Mario or, or actually be the all-time pole sitter. But yeah, we'll see what happens. Well, when you look at this era of IndyCar series, Will Powers definitely played a very major role in it. You've had a great career. It's not over by any means. And I'm sure you're as excited as anyone to get the 2022 season started this weekend at the Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg. Will Power, I've enjoyed it. Uh, Good luck this season and congratulations on a great career. And thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy. Yeah, thanks, Bruce. Thanks for having me. And that puts a checkered flag on this edition of Pit Pass Indy. We want to thank our guest, 2014 NTT IndyCar Series champion and 2018 Indianapolis 500 winner, Will Power of Australia, for joining us on today's podcast. Along with loyal listeners like you, our guests help make Pit Pass Indy your path to victory lane for all things IndyCar. For more IndyCar coverage, follow me at Twitter at Bruce Martin, one word, underscore 500. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thanks to our production team. Executive producers are Bridget Coyne and Gerardo Orlando. Recordings and edits were done by me, Bruce Martin, and final mixing was done by Dave Douglas. Learn more at evergreenpodcast.com. Until next time, be sure to keep it out of the wall. 